Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. All right, so we got our first question up here. Let's go ahead and dive in from earlier. I'm a sophomore preparing for medical school, and I have a question about GPA trends. By the, t- by the end of my freshman year, I had a 3.65 GPA, and after the first semester, organic chemistry combined with genetics and other classes in the midst of the current pandemic has been harder than I anticipated. It looks like I'm going to pull a B in both courses, which will drop my GPA to a 3.54. Give up now. Oh, no. With a 348 science GPA, I think I can do better next semester in organic too. But how will this dip affect my application, affect it, whatever the end is? Yeah. So, obviously, sophomore, very early on in this process, it's pretty strong GPA right now. Mm-hmm. I go to, you got plenty of time to fix this. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I also think that, um, it seems to me like medical schools are going to be perhaps a little bit more forgiving with uh, COVID related, you know, the, the semester spring 2020, fall 2020, um, just because of the requirements of students shifting to online education and how that worked and what the details of that were. And, you know, just all of the stuff related to that seems to me like that's going to be you know they're going to be willing to give a little bit more leeway there so i agree with you ryan that there's a lot of time to to recover from that it's not terrible b does not equal bad so i think you're i wouldn't worry too much <laughs> b, does, b does not equal bad <laughs> i like <Right>. that <laughs> p equals md though i know that <laughs> that's gpa math and right <laughs> B, what does B then stand for? If B does not equal bad. Uh, better. <laughs> better than a C. <laughs> better than a C. And if you're really worried, better get into that free study center. There you go. <laughs> That's yes, good. That is close due to COVID. <laughs> well, they're having virtual, I virtual, hope. Yeah, the virtual yeah. study. Very cool. All right. Uh, all right. Let's see what we got next here. Hi there. I have... A few abstracts and posters that I submitted in the spring for a few conferences. They were all accepted but never came to anything because of COVID. Can I still put them on my application as they were all accepted? That's an interesting question. So for for those uninitiated, when you do research, you write abstracts, you you make posters, you submit them to um, conferences. conferences. Most medical conferences have poster presentations where you stand next to your giant poster that's printed out on a really big printer and people walk around and review the poster and talk to you and learn what you learned. Um, and obviously with COVID and the pandemic, none of those poster presentations are happening. Although I, I wonder why they couldn't happen virtually, but yeah. Anyway. Um, so a lot of, uh, a lot of the questions surrounding this type of question have been, 
I was going to shadow, but I didn't get to because of COVID. Can I still put that on my application? And our answer has historically been no. Like, yeah, don't yeah. put something you didn't do. But this person did do something. They had presentations accepted to conferences. So mm -hmm. in my mind, I, I go to, yeah, I would still put that on, on your application. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. I think, uh, you know, as long as you're just cl clear in the in the description that this was an accepted poster or presentation or abstract and that due to COVID, it was not, you know, the event didn't happen or whatever, but uh, that it was accept accepted for uh, for publication or for presentation. So, yeah, I would say absolutely. And by the way, just to clarify, we're not talking about poster with poster board and magic markers. We're talking about a <laughs> legit those, like, three, yeah. threefold <laughs> kind of things that stand up on a table. Yeah. Like a Kinko's print job. You know, yeah, I was thinking like it's like science fair, but for grown ups. Exactly yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. It's Got an funny. international question. I came to the US in 2017. I'm a sophomore and I'm doing great in my classes. My GPA is high, but I don't know a lot of things when it comes to applications and what makes and that makes me very nervous. Any advice? I got a podcast called The Pre yeah. It covers a yeah. lot of the application process. Two two things, absolutely. Uh watch uh read Ryan's books and re and watch um his videos and listen to his podcasts and secondarily visit your pre-med advisor at your institution and uh begin that now <clears throat> it's not too early to start that and and start getting to know them they're there to help you through the process and figure out what's what and how to do stuff so um and if you haven't signed up for map that'd be a good idea as well yeah not to disparage advisors because I, I think they're they're obviously vital to this whole kind of um, establishment of the pre-med world but I I come across a lot of international students who are basically told by their advisor if you're not a perfect student you're not going to get in why is there this potential misunderstanding that international students have to be amazing applicants to get into medical school mm. Well, I think that probably comes from a, a couple of different, um, couple of different contexts. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of medical schools in the U.S. that don't accept any international students, um, and so that makes it tough um, to get into the ones that do accept international students. And uh, and I think that the second part of that is probably because international students unrelated to their performance in, in school or whatever international students basically have to have come with a load of money to be able to go to medical school and um you know some of them can do that and some of them don't have the resources for that um but i think you know a lot of advisors uh just have been told by even medical school admissions people you know either we don't take any international students or it's super difficult to get in as an international student, particularly if they have um, residency requirements for their state. Uh, then not only are they not uh, in-state individual, but they're not, you know, whatever. Uh, they're not a, uh, 
a U.S. citizen. So probably comes from a lot of different angles uh, with that. I don't agree with that. I think that, you know, the role of the advisors to really help that student discover, you know, where are the schools that do accept international students? What are my avenues of, of you know, trying to get this, this accomplished, et cetera? Um, so, you know, I, I do think that international students can get into medical school in the U.S. I think it's difficult, uh, but uh, it's possible. So this person has put two addenda to the question she asked, or he, they asked. Um, one is, uh, they say, I don't have a pre-med advisor at my school. The other is, I moved to the U.S., so I live here now. Um, and I don't know if that means you have your green card, or but if you can establish residency, you said you moved here in 2017 and you're only a sophomore. So sounds like you have a good chance of establishing residency by the time you apply. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if they have a green card, then they're not an international student. And so, yep. you know, that changes the whole dynamic of everything. Um, so, yeah. Cool. And then, yeah, uh, if you don't have a pre-med advisor in your school, I mean, some of it is what we said before, right? The pre-med podcast, Google that, go to MedEd Media or Medical School Headquarters to Ryan's main website and check out his plethora of podcasts. Yes. Um, and then, um, is it NAAHP that has a service yeah. for... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's more fluent than me talk about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> NAAHP, so this is NAAHP.org, uh, NAAHP.org. And uh, they have, a, they have um, advisors from around the country that volunteer to help students who don't have an advisor. And so that will connect you with an advisor that you could, you know, you, you could have access to free of charge. Of course, you know, we have... Um, uh, private advising here um, at MAPT. So you can check out the map.com slash services uh, to look at that and see if, you know, if um, that might be something that you want to take advantage of as, as well. Yeah. And then MAPT, right? Obviously, the, the students are watching oh, absolutely. This right now live. Yeah. So they're, they're part of MAPT. I think there's, there's some confusion around international students being different than other pre-meds. And at the end of the day, it's the same thing. You need to be a good student. You need to have some good experiences. You need to understand why you want to be a physician. Yep. You need to have a lot of money in the bank um, or, or access to co-signers for private loans and, and other things um, because the you're not eligible for federal financial aid. But right. but the pre-med process is the same. Yeah, uh, absolutely. No matter who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Other, other than a lot more-ish research if you are truly an international student, you're you, you're not a permanent resident. Um, research into what schools will accept you and what schools will. Yeah, be. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, obviously, we've got a preference towards it, but it's good you're here because being in mapped, I mean, you've got all the information in the app plus this weekly call, <laughs> so you're gonna learn a lot. Yep. Uh, here we go, another one. Hey guys, I'm currently a senior in undergrad and I am planning to apply May 2021. I currently have some clinical experience, but it is not much. I'm aware we should have some before the pandemic, but I was fixing my grades and increasing my GPA. Is there a way I can explain this on my application? Wow. All right. So pretty standard kind of yeah. pandemic dilemma of I'm not going to have enough clinical experience slash shadowing slash whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. My 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 hesitation always comes down to: Do you have enough period 
to understand why you want to be a physician. Right. Whether that's pandemic or not, um, if, if you're on this journey and you, um, you're going to apply without enough clinical experience, then a lot of times I find that students can't formulate in their head and, and kind of put together a, a good reason why they want to be a physician other than I like science, I want to help people I've known, I've always wanted to be a physician. Mm -hmm. uh, and usually that's not good enough to, to uh, get an interview. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, my concern also here is, um, you know, if if they knew they wanted to be a physician since whenever, I mean, the, the, the person writing this question didn't say that, but uh, to, to extend that point you're making, Ryan, if they've known forever they want to be a physician, why why haven't they gotten any, even pre, pre-pandemic? Um, you know, this is this is a concern that I have is that, you know, um, th there's a process here and, um, you know, you, you have to sort of participate in the process in a way that's going to get you close to what other students are doing. I think you have to always keep in mind that the medical school admissions process is a competitive process, which means there are more qualified applicants than there are places in classes. And so you're competing with other students who have a lot of clinical experience, who have, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And so, so you know, to the question, uh, to the question here is, um, you know, you can make an, a, you can make a, an attempt to, to put in your application why you don't have very much clinical experience, but, uh, and, and you really don't have an option at this point. Um, you've got the spring semester. Who knows what's going to happen in the spring semester in terms of COVID? I'm not thinking that a whole lot's going to change because it's going to take a while for any kind of vaccine to roll out. <clears throat> so it may be difficult to get clinical experiences in the spring as well. Try as hard as you can. Uh, do uh, do the uh, e-shadowing uh, that that Ryan puts puts together, and you know, do the best you can and and apply and you know. There's no other option. I mean, that's that's what it is. And and you can put in your application exactly why, you know, you don't have very much experience that COVID happened. And, you know, you, prior to that, you were trying to, to fix your grades, as you put it. But, um, you know, there's a chance that medical schools could look at that and say, well, you know, maybe you need to apply again next year with more clinical experience. I had a question about secondaries. I was wondering when writing the essays, what's a potential indicator for knowing when a secondary feels sufficient? Sometimes I feel I draft them multiple times and it never feels perfect, but it's difficult to spend a lot of time dwelling on each prompt when you have many applications. What would your advice be for a self-check on evaluating your secondary responses? Well, the first thing that strikes me in terms of this question is it's never going to feel perfect. If that's, if that's the standard you're setting, then give up right now because it's, you, you're never going to feel like it's perfect. Uh, so you can't set that standard. You have to, the standard has to be, it's good enough. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's a quote that, um, that I, I heard somewhere. It says a painting is never finished. It just stops in interesting places. 
Yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's really good. Uh, and that's exactly what it is with these secondary essays. I yeah. mean, most of them are not, you know, very long in terms of the amount of space that you have to write. Uh, so that helps a little bit. But uh, I, I think, boy, you, you can't set the standard at perfect. You just have to try to get across, pay attention to the prompt. What are they looking for? Uh, answer it to the best of your ability. Make sure you get, you know, some... Uh, some input from others in terms of the writing style and stuff to, to make sure there's no, you know, grammatical errors or, or, or things like that. And then just move on. That That's my suggestion is that, you know, you, you really, as you said, if you're applying to a lot of different schools uh, and each school has, you know, maybe three to 10 essays that you're, you know, short essays that you're having to write, that's a lot of essays, and you can't really linger on on too too many of them in order to uh, just have the ability to get them all done. So, and you know, a lot of them once you get because a lot of the essays, in my experience, on secondary applications have similar themes. So you can take pieces of what you've written for one school and use it for other schools, depending on exactly what the question is asking. But once you get some some of it down, then you can use that as resources for other schools' essays. Um, and so you're not like starting from complete zero uh, in, in doing these. You have to do some manipulation and you have to do some some revising and stuff to make sure it fits with the prompt. But, you know, once you get two or three under your belt, I think it gets a little bit easier. Yeah. I think <clears throat> really the, the, the core of the question here, right, this self-check yeah. is – did I answer the question? Right. So many times I, I see secondary essays that are really fancy and really pretty, and I get to the end, and I'm like, but you didn't answer the question. Uh, and, and I think it's hard because, especially with my specific advice for writing personal statements and writing the extracurricular descriptions and trying to have anecdotes and trying to show and not tell, students take that same philosophy into secondary essays and I, I like blow it up at this point. I'm like, stop trying to be fancy. Stop trying yeah. to tell stories. Just answer the answer question. The freaking um, question. Answer the question. <laughs> and, and, and really to, to maybe give you a little bit of insight into how, I, I was going to say how not important secondaries are. Secondaries are very important, but how I think secondaries are much easier than everything else is for the longest time, I wouldn't offer secondary essay editing because I'm like, you don't need it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just answer the question. You'll be fine. Mm -hmm. um, but so many people asked for it. I started offering it. And, yeah. and, and, I, and more, more often than not, students are perfectly fine with their answers. And I tweak yep. a couple things here and there. But it's very rarely do I come across one where it's just like, no, like you got to blow this one up. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, the question asker, oh, sorry, I wanted to clarify, yeah. added, maybe perfect wasn't the best word choice there, but sufficient in terms of tone and conciseness without being too wordy, yeah. which, by the way, is an example. You could have stopped a conciseness, friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do it too. So I want to let these guys answer also, but I will tell you that I always have a draft that is my brain dump draft. And then often if I just like paste it into like an email or a phone text and see how much I have to scroll to read it all, nice. then I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I can cut like two thirds of these sentences. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the, yeah. the good thing is that 
the far majority of these essay prompts have character limits or word limits. So yeah. they're going to force you to be concise. Yeah. Um, and so you're going to have to fit into that. I, I think that the follow-up question still goes to the, the fact that you're trying to be too perfect, right? Yeah. How do I, how do I be sufficient in terms of tone, right? Who cares about the tone? Just answer the question. Just answer the question. Yeah. yeah. Agreed completely. And, and if someone is lucky enough to be brief, right? Like they don't need to fill the character limit, right? If it's 600 and you got it done in 350, is that okay? Or does it need to be, you know, like someone's thinking this, that's why I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, I, I think that a lot of students think that they have to fill up every, every bit of the space. Um, but I, I completely agree with Ryan, what you're saying about it, just answer the question, you know, and, uh, these, um, my experience on these secondary applications is the, spe the specificity of the questions is much greater than on the primary application. Yep. So it's easier to answer the question because they're fairly specific. You know, they, yep. they'll, they'll give you a phrase out of their school's mission and say, how, how, you know, what have you done that addresses this part of our mission? And I mean, it's really, you know, really straightforward. Yep. I think, um, the, a saying that I say all the time when students ask, like, how long does it need to be, whether it's an essay uh, response or it's an interview answer, is the answer needs to be as long as it needs to be and no longer. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's the answer. Absolutely. That's exactly in, the, right. in the military, we had uh, OPRs in the Air Force. We had OPRs and EPRs for officer uh, performance reports and enlisted performance reports. And... The, this was probably one of the biggest reasons why I didn't want to stay in the military was they there was this game that you had to play and they had uh, like a, a box on this form. It was like a PDF that you fill out and you they were bullet points. And so you had one line per bullet point. And if you left white space, if you left white space, it wasn't considered a good bullet, a bullet point. And, and it was meant to be like the secret thing of like, you really don't care about this person. And so however you're writing it is not showing. And I'm just like, why is this a game? Why can't I just write what I want to write? Yeah, and, yeah. And you, you had all these like predetermined abbreviations that were allowed or not allowed. And, and I was just like, this is madness that you're wasting my brain power on this crap. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And luckily, medical schools don't play that game. <laughs> they play different games. Yeah, they do play games, but not that one. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, circling back to our question asker who had some posters accepted, but then um, wasn't able to present them. They did add uh, that it looks like there's 2021 ones that are going to be online, but now she's graduated from her university. So she doesn't know if she'll be accepted to present. Yeah. Um, Cause they were all undergraduate. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen any instances of that, of like an alum of a school presenting at an undergraduate concert conference. Can't hurt to try all the rules yeah. are different yeah. in COVID times. Yeah. Right. There, there may be some exceptions for the next year or two. Definitely. You never know. You never know. Oh, here's a good one. How important is it to take classes that are, quote, recommended by medical schools like genetics or cell bio? Mm. 
Well, I think a lot of times medical schools recommend classes because they have found in their research uh, that students who have those classes in their background do better in those similar courses in medical school. Yet they don't want to require them because it provides another barrier for, for example, non-science majors or others. And so, um, you know, I think if you can fit them into your schedule, uh, it's probably a good idea to take recommended uh, courses uh, because really what they're doing is saying, you know, especially genetics and, and cell bio, uh, I mean, these are two chief classes in, in the first couple of years of, of medical school that, uh, and, and genetics is, is a tough, tough go from what I understand. And so, I mean, Ryan, you would know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Genetics wasn't too bad for me, but yeah, genetics is, uh, is a trippy one. What's really yeah. cool is I, I saw an animation of live, like protein transcription, uh, of like how fast it actually, our cells are making proteins, um, from RNA or whatever, however it happens, I forget these days. Uh, but it was a really cool animation uh, of, of what it looks like. I was just blown away at how fast our body's pumping out these proteins. Wow, that's amazing. You know, the other thing I would add in terms of taking recommended courses, um, oh, well, two things, and somebody else just commented one, which is it can be helpful for your MCAT prep <laughs> for genetics. The other is we've talked a few times on this about like people who took AP courses and got, you know, fours or fives, but then still ended up having to take that course in college. And I see that if money isn't a huge object for you, I mean, it's a big object for all of us, but if you can fit it into your full term course load, so it's not costing extra or slowing you down, I see that as a win because college goes so much faster than even an AP high school course, yep. but then it's even faster. I mean, the expression I always hear used is fire hose yeah. when talking about med school. So, you know, Ryan is saying, oh, genetics isn't, wasn't that bad for him, but he means in the context of having fire hose pressure, yeah. you know, information thrown at him week after week. Yeah. Um, so, right. You know, I just think if if you can swing it in your schedule, if you can swing it from a time and money standpoint, it's just one more thing that'll give you a stronger base before you go to med school and things start yeah. going really turbo speed. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's here's a good a good kind of example of that fire hose. I always talk about biochemistry, right? Biochemistry in college, it's a semester long course. Uh, it's pretty tough. You dive in medical school. Two weeks, right? Yep. Cover cover, uh, if not the same, more information in your biochemistry. Going further in depth in biochemistry, uh, in medical school, but it's a two week a two week course, and you got to cram it all in. It's yeah. incredible, just the the volume of information, how fast it comes. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, I think hopefully that helps answer this person's question is how important it is. Well, it might just depend on your schedule and how fast you learn. Um, for me with science and math, I always did better at the end of the semester than at the beginning because it just took me a while to wrap my brain around it. Um, so a change in speed would be real hard on me. Um, yeah. but some people don't have that issue. It's lucky smarty pants. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not dumb. I'm just not always quick. 
Uh, going back, some, oh, there it is. I was just going to say, someone had asked when to start preparing for the MCAT. Um, so the way I like you to think about it, rather than thinking about like freshman, sophomore, junior year, because I know we have a lot of non-traditionals here at MAPT, is think about when you intend to start med school. So let's say you want to start med school in um, August 2023. Well, then you need to be taking the MCAT probably about... 18 months before that, so roughly like the January or March 2022 exams, which means you're probably going to start preparing somewhere in their neighborhood of three to six months before that, depending on how busy your life is. So yeah. about two years out from the time you intend to start med school is when you start your MCAT prep. Yep. Agreed. And and really, honestly, truthfully, your MCAT prep starts now. True. Your your best MCAT prep is doing mm -hmm. well in your core science classes, yep. building building a solid foundation of studying, yep. and study skills, and picking up information, and reading, and reading really in depth articles online, and and building up your reading comprehension. Absolutely. All that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you learn it really well the first time, it won't be so hard when you have to relearn it. You know. Yep. Um, and we see that from non-traditional students all the time. They'll say like, oh, you know, it's been seven years since um, Gen Chem. I'm like, yeah, but even if you took Gen Chem freshman year and then you take the MCAT junior year, like how much do you remember from two and a half years ago? Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, right. better you get it down the first time. Absolutely. So, let's see. Hey, MAP team, thanks for going live today. I'm struggling to determine if I should apply next cycle. <laughs> when do you know you are finally ready to apply, especially given COVID and the limited research and clinical work available? If only we had a resource. Uh, uh, yes. That's what only. I was just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I only see you as Facebook user, but person asking this question, so for the people watching live, if you're a mapped user, which everybody watching live is, you can sign up for Am I Ready and we'll actually, I mean, we're going to record it for our YouTube series, but we'll we'll do a 30-minute analysis um, and, and give you some feedback. It's hard to answer this question without knowing more about your right. situation. Right. Um, for the people who are listening on the replay later, you could also buy a one-hour session to work with Dr. Scott Wright and, ha and have him go through your data. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, with the way this question is asked, I feel like maybe there's something you were particularly worried about missing. And that's maybe what we need to dig into. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they say not research, I mean limited shadow and clinic clinical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talked yeah. about that a little bit earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, question about shadowing. I have about 8 to 12 hours of shadowing per physician that I've been fortunate enough to shadow. Total of about 50 hours as of now. I know that medical schools appreciate long-term commitments. Should I aim to shadow one physician for a more extended amount of time when shadowing is allowed again? Or can I continue to shadow various physicians in different specialties for a day, quote, only here and there? I do work closely with some of them, so getting good LORs will hopefully be easy. Yeah, I mean, I, I like this question a lot because I think it really hits um, a theme that even applies to not just shadowing, but also 
um, activities that students have in school with student organizations and stuff like that. I mean, I, lo I love the idea of students getting a, br a broadness of experience with physicians, uh, different specialties, different types of medicine, inpatient, outpatient, you know, what, you know, I, I love the idea because medicine is so diverse. And, uh, and, and when, when I see students who have only shadowed, you know, pediatricians or even one pediatrician or one, you know, whatever, family doctor or whatever, then they're, they're getting an understanding of that particular doctor's form of medicine and not anything else. And so I really like the idea of, of sort of a broadness of, uh, of experience with shadowing because it really does give you a sense of how diverse the the field is and what what the various types of things that happen in in different specialties and stuff like that and the same thing i think occurs with uh, student organizations except exactly the opposite you know i think uh depth in in student organizations is preferable to breadth um, the uh, exact I would see the opposite being true for shadowing. Um, I, I'd much rather see a, a nice breadth of experience with a variety of different physicians than than simply you know a lot with just one person. Yeah, and obviously there's there's a caveat to that that finding shadowing typically it's is tough. is is hard and and available to those who maybe have a little bit more privilege. Because right. mom and dad are in healthcare, they live in a, a nicer neighborhood where the the other doctors live, or whatever. Right. Um, and and so, uh, I I think enough admissions committee members understand that. And while kind of the optimal, acceptable, not acceptable kind of right. levels of 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 Doctor Scott Wright, um, optimal would be yes, getting a, a broad. Uh, experience of physicians to shadow and and not just seeing one person's particular experience and and their specific insight into medicine but seeing a bunch of different things uh, but completely acceptable especially if you oh absolutely have access to 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 more than one to hang out with that one as long as you can yeah. oh absolutely absolutely i agree with that completely all right we got a juicy one i like this <laughs> Do you have any advice for pre-meds who are absolutely set on a career in medicine but are working in hospitals right now and maybe beginning to doubt this path? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want the, me the, to talk about this one? Yeah, I think that'd be a good idea, and then, and then I'll chime in later. So one of the reasons why I started Specialty Stories, um, the, the podcast Specialty Stories, to interview physicians the the goal behind that was to interview an academic physician and a community physician in the same field because what you see in the hospital especially if you're at a big tertiary care center a big academic medical center is not the medicine that you'll go out and see in the community you have to understand that that medicine is whatever you want it to be once you go to medical school you get your degree you, you train in the specialty that you want. Once you're through that training, you can do anything you want. You can go into private practice. You can go into the pharmaceutical world. You can stay in academics if, if that floats your boat. What you see right now in the hospital, especially during COVID times, is not the, the standard medicine that is practiced everywhere. And so don't pigeonhole 
your view of healthcare, kind of going back to what we were just saying about only shadowing one physician and, and going, oh, like this isn't what I thought being a physician was like, right? That's that one physician. And so this is one specific hospital in one moment of time that is completely abnormal moment of time, uh, by the way, that I, I think if, if you are set on a career in medicine, don't give up hope now just because of what you're seeing and really understand that this is anything that you want to happen in your career, you can make happen and, and really just keep an open mind as much as possible. Yeah, and, and the other thing I would say about that is, is use this as an opportunity for reflection. Why is it that this is making you question this pathway for you? What, what, is, it about the, what is it about what is happening in that hospital what is it that makes you sort of question? Uh, reflect. I would super encourage you to do some reflective writing and, and journaling about what's going on in the hospital that really causes this doubt in your mind and uh, how is this affecting you and, and et cetera. And this might be something, you know, you didn't really go into where you are in the process in terms of, you know, how close you are to, a, to an application. But it, it could very well be that, you know, maybe an, a, a gap year for you would be uh, beneficial uh, to get broader experiences and to, and to, you know, the last thing you want to do is enter into medical school with the debt that's required and the amount of effort and work uh, that's required in medical school if you're uneasy about it or if you have doubts. Uh, I'd much prefer you taking a year off and, you know, maybe, you know, uh, getting a job or doing research or, uh uh, and, and having an opportunity to um, do further shadowing, further work experiences, uh, et cetera, to, to make sure this is right for you. Better to spend an extra year doing that than enter into something that ultimately you're not going to be satisfied with or that's going to, uh, that you're not going to follow through on. So, you know, I think you, you want to be careful about this. Reflective writing, really trying to decide what it is that's happening at the hospital that causes you doubts, but also uh, getting a broadness of experience, like uh, like Ryan was saying, uh, in in other hospitals, in with community physicians, with you know, uh, with uh, physicians at, at clinics and in private practices and stuff that that'll really help you understand what's going on in medicine and other, in other environments. And, and maybe those satisfy the doubts that you had, but uh, I'm, I'm really, very concerned that you don't enter in, don't seek to enter into the expense, especially of medical school or even the application process for medical school with, with big doubts. Yeah. I want to do a little like juxtaposition and synthesizing here and just ask you guys to comment more because I'm seeing some comments, but also thinking, about the kind of stuff that we tend to get like five days later, someone will be like, but you said X and you said Y, and I think they disagree. <laughs> um, so what I've heard is, and I, I mean, we know you should get as much clinical and shadowing experiences, your, you know, financial si situation and time will permit, permit, hopefully it's broad. You should take with a big grain of salt, the fact that experience you're getting right now is kind of weird because of COVID plus it's hard to get. So I guess like the next question is, so what if I don't like the situation I'm in, but Ryan has said, well, there's other situations you can go to, but I don't have an opportunity. 
to go get those, you know, like how else can I broaden my, my horizons? How else can I see what a life in medicine looks like if I can't get other volunteer or clinical job opportunities right now, or if I can't get other life shadowing opportunities? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can, you yeah. know, you listen to specialty stories, podcasts, you go to e-shadowing yep. um, and, and read books. Ask, yeah. Yep. Ask, ask questions, read books, um, do as, as much as possible. I, I think where I'm coming from in terms of understand that it's just a moment in time uh, is especially for someone who says, this is what I've always wanted to do. Don't give up right now. After yep. what Scott mentioned, doing some self-reflection and, and really mm -hmm. diving deep, maybe the answer is you don't want to be in medicine anymore, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Uh, I just want to make sure that we're not rushing to a, a, a kind of judgment of this isn't what I want, this isn't what I thought it was, when it's a very unusual moment in time right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I thought, thought that was what you were going to say, but I felt like it bared clarifying. Um so we've got e-shadowing, we've actually got e-shadowing for um, MDDO and now physician's assistants for those of you that are saying, I know I want to be healthcare, but maybe not doctor. Um, yeah. Someone just asked about book recommendations, and I think you've got a link on Med School HQ. Is that right, Ryan? On the, so I do have a couple book rec recommendation posts on just the main website at Medical School HQ, and then okay. in the pre-med hangout in the announcements, there's a, a books list uh, as well. Okay. Um, nothing specifically that I can think of off the top of my head about, about that kind of thing. Yeah. All right, let's see, You're getting close to the end here. We can take one more. I'm currently taking a general chemistry course and anticipate receiving an A, yay. Awesome, also A is for awesome. A is for awesome. B is for better than a C. C stands for couldn't cut it. <laughs> well, hang on. Keep reading. Okay. Keep reading I, this I am question. I'm also taking a biochemistry course and anticipate receiving most likely a C and have switched my grade option for that class to a pass, no pass. I'm at the end of my prereq. Should I retake that class next term? My institution does not offer further upper division biochem courses specifically. So the very first thing that I that strikes me about this question is how is it possible if you could put the question back up again, please. Oh, sorry. No, that's all right. How I just want to. Possible they're in both courses. At the same yeah, time. general chemistry and biochemistry <laughs> at the same time. That that's makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, there's that a reason I, you got you got to see in biochemistry because you, you shouldn't have been taking it yet. Yeah, exactly. I don't understand how your your institution even allowed that. That that makes no sense whatsoever to me. So, no, I mean, that's neither here nor there in, in terms of, you know, what the, what the question is about. Um, should I retake the class? I, I, I it's just. A, it's a retake. Oh, uh, okay. Which well, goes to your general chemistry foundation probably wasn't strong enough to continue forward. And you probably, again, still shouldn't have been taking biochemistry while you're retaking general chemistry. So yeah. it's it sounds like. Um, in, in my mind, just uh, some bad decisions, most likely to finish as soon as possible um, yeah. to potentially apply this next cycle, which is a very common trap that students fall into of like, I need to finish my courses either so I can apply or so that I'm ready for the MCAT. And then all you do is shoot yourself in the foot like this. 
<laughs> yep, I agree. Congrats right. on the A and the retake. That's huge. Yeah, yeah, that's that awesome. Great. Yeah. So pass, pass, no pass for the biochemistry. It's Scott, we talk about all the time. It's it's really what what's the big picture look like, right? For for that mm -hmm. student, one class potentially not a huge issue. But right. what is what is the other? What do the other classes look like? Do they yeah. do they have a, a good foundation of yeah. of grades? So yeah. student also saying they work full time, right? Again, just a, a, a recipe. We I see it all the time. A recipe for uh, needing to do a post back or a master's program later, just mm -hmm. always piling too much on a student's plate of yep. working and, and shadowing yeah. clinical experience and trying to take all these classes and, and not kind of being self-aware enough or, or not, that's not the right word, but not giving yourself permission to, to, to slow, just down. slow down. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and uh, maybe you're retaking Gen Chem now because it fit in your schedule and you already took Orgo 1 and 2. It's it's not clear. But I guess what I want to say is think about the fact that they're usually sequenced that way for a reason. Um, I think Orgo 2 is maybe a little less important. But if you right. didn't already do Orgo 1 and do really well in it, if you don't also have that strong base, taking retaking Biochem will, may not go very well. Um, like it sounds like your Gen Chem retakes going swimmingly, but yeah. uh, you want to make sure you've got your Gen Chem and your Orgo foundation really strong before you try to layer the biochem on top of it. Yep. Awesome. Another Athedine in the books. Mm -hmm. Episode yep. 26. A half a year I've got to hang out with you all. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a, a part of this journey. And, oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Spreading awesome. the knowledge. Did you ever see the Lego movie? Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Yay. It's Taco Tuesday. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the holiday Thursday is one that's always fraught for me because, you know, <laughs> grateful for some things and sorry about everything that this country did to the people already living here. But <laughs> I will say that I am very grateful for you too. And for all of our pre-meds watching and listening, I'm really grateful for you guys, like interacting with you, whether it's in person on video calls or even just in this chat is by far the best part of what we do. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.